0: How I Became a Spy, Chapter 26. When we neared Berwick Street, David decided to head home. Another history test tomorrow, Bertie, he reminded me. Mr. Turner works us harder than any other teacher, I told Eleanor. I wasn't sure how much history reading I'd do later. I had Violet's notebook with me, and I'd much rather work on the code than read about the Roman invasion. Well, Mr. Turner is demanding, but I like him, David put in. He says that because we're living through a war against tyranny, we have a special responsibility. What kind of responsibility? Eleanor asked. To learn from the past, understand the present, and change the future, David said. Eleanor turned to face us. Violet felt responsible too. That's what made her decide to risk her life. We can't let her down. She put her hand out. Let's put our hands together in a circle like they do before a quest. I picked up LR and we formed a circle to make our pledge three hands, and one furry paw. I walked Eleanor to Hay Muse and then said goodbye. L.R. and I meandered through Grosvenor Square, since I still had a few minutes before my shift. I walked around, thinking, while L.R. sniffed everything in sight. Sometimes she'd pounce on tiny crumbs from someone's lunch, her small, curly tail wagging a mile a minute. We hadn't seen the sun all day, and now the gray skies were darkening to black. It felt eerie somehow maybe it was eisenhower's headquarters looming before us the blackout shades hid everything but i knew it must be buzzing with activity inside that's where supreme commander eisenhower works i bet your scottish terrier friend telek is in there beside him i said little, told to little rue i couldn't stop thinking about violet and what was at stake Warden Hawke had said this invasion would be the largest military operation in history, with thousands of troops landing on the coast of France on the first day. The landings would be followed by an onslaught of more soldiers, tanks, and planes, all focused on defeating Hitler's forces and ending the war. But what if things didn't go according to plan? What if the Germans were waiting for those soldiers as they spilled from their small boats onto the beaches? I wondered if anyone at military headquarters had an inkling that the invasion's plan was in peril. I was still standing there when it began. The sirens started up, their horrible wails crashing over me. LR began to shake and howl. For a minute, I hesitated. Should I run to make sure Eleanor and her grandmother were all right? No. They had a Morrison shelter in their home. They'd be fine. I remembered to put my helmet in my school knapsack. I stuck it on my head before setting off along Brook Street to the command post. I didn't have my bicycle, but the wardens kept a few battered old bikes in the office. The most important thing was to get there. The anti-aircraft guns had already gone into action. L.R. kept on howling, even as she trotted behind me. I raced past the red brick of Claridge's, with the British flag waving proudly over the entrance. I had to dodge several couples who seemed to be complaining that their dinner plans were being ruined. I passed Master Humphrey's clock shop and slackened my pace to peer inside. I couldn't see any movement. I hoped Mr. Humphrey had a Morrison shelter. With his cane, he'd have a hard time rushing to a public shelter. I was about to turn right on New Bond Street, which would take me to the command post on Maddox, when a flare flashed behind me. Before I could take another step, a strong blast threw me to the ground. I felt the air being sucked out of my lungs. I reached for L.R. and held her close. She tried to wriggle away, back toward the blast. Right away, I knew. The block behind me and the clock shop had taken a hit, and the old man with the fierce smile and the wild bright hair was probably inside. Let's go back, LR. We were on the spot before anyone else. I guessed Mr. Humphrey lived above the shop. Maybe he had a Morrison upstairs, but if he'd been downstairs in the shop, he'd be in trouble. I coughed as I came closer. The brick dust was thick and smoke filled my lungs. The door was gone, blown away. I stood in the empty space and yelled, ''Mr. Humphrey, Mr. Humphrey, are you in here?'' Silence. I tried again. I heard a little moan, or I heard a moan. Little Rue whined and her small body quivered with anxiety. She pulled on the lead. ''Lead me to him, girl. Mr. Humphrey, can you hear me? Where are you?'' ''Here, I'm in the back office.'' He was conscious, at least. I took a step. The dust was so thick I could barely breathe. I coughed again and felt glass crunch under my foot. Mr. Humphrey's lovely display cases had been shattered. He's probably lost everything, I thought. He was so proud of his shop, so determined to stick it out until the invasion, until the end. My eyes adjusted a little in the smoky gloom. I inched closer, but I wasn't sure I should go all the way through the shop. It might be safer to wait for help. "'Mr. Humphrey,' I called again. "'I wanted to keep communication open. "'My name is Bertie Bradshaw. "'I'm a civil defense volunteer. "'We met a few days ago in the front of the bookshop.' "'I remember.' "'Mr. Humphrey coughed. "'The dust was thick. "'Then his voice came again, stronger this time. "'So you've come to rescue me, have you?' "'Sir, if you're trapped under rubble, I could fetch help.' "'No!' he cried. "'I could hear pain, panic in his voice. "'Oh, no!' Don't leave me here, lad. We can get out. I just need someone to steady me. All right. I climbed over beams and piles of bricks and wood and shattered glass. My heart raced. L.R. plunged ahead, her whole body straining against the lead. Good work, L.R. Lead me to him. Suddenly, I felt sick and light-headed, like I had before. I had to lean over and retch. I can't. I can't do this, I whispered. L.R. whined and stuck her warm muzzle in my face. You still coming? Mr. Humphrey's voice sounded faint and tiny. Woof! L.R. barked, as if urging me to follow her. I took a step. The whole shop was spinning now. I grabbed blindly, wildly, trying to stay on my feet. Instead, I lost my balance and fell hard on my knees, cutting my hand on some glass. I didn't feel it, though. I put my head down. I didn't want to be sick again. But I was. I felt frozen. I can't move Will, come and get me, I'm scared. But somehow, this time, unlike that other day, I did move. It is you, said Mr. Humphrey when I reached him. He held out one arm for me to grab. Just pull hard, my cane's gone lad, but I can make it. I took a deep breath. One, two, three. He groaned, but then he was upright. We picked our way toward the doorway. I heard him gasp at the ruined display cases and broken glass. I'm so sorry, I whispered. I'm sorry about your shot, Mr. Humphrey. Mr. Humphrey grunted. His hand gripped my arm. I'll survive. Like I told you, young birdie, the invasion is coming. The tide's about to turn. He repeated it like a prayer. Yes, the invasion is coming, and I'm going to be here in London when it happens, no matter what. It wasn't until later, sitting on the ground with a blanket over my shoulders, that I began to cry. Warden Ida lowered his tall frame and put his arm around me. I shook a little, but gradually relaxed. L.R. snuggled in my lap. "'Why don't you tell me about it, Bertie?' Warden Ida said softly. "'It's past time, I think.' I glanced up and met his dark eyes. He smiled a little. I'm not asking just about what happened today. Warden Hawk told me your home got hit in the blitz. I think you were inside. I buried my face in Little Rue's fur. I still felt a bit dizzy. I nodded. Me and my brother Will. Mum had to, run, to help, run out to help a neighbor. She'd left Will in charge of me. He's two years older. I didn't like that. We had a back garden then, with an Anderson's shelter in it. I was supposed to do what Will said if no one else was home. We'd even practiced it. But... When the sirens went off that night, I was sleepy and grumpy. I was lying in bed and didn't want to get up. I wouldn't listen to him, and I didn't move fast enough. But Will wouldn't leave my side. And then the house got hit. In the background, I could hear the buzz of conversation as people gathered to look at the blast site and talk in low murmurs. I heard Mr. Humphrey's voice, too, louder than anyone else's. "'I'm not getting in that ambulance. I need to board up my shop to prevent looting.' A constable tried to reassure him. I turned my head and saw that it was George Morton. Now, sir, I give you my word as a veteran of Dunkirk, I'll get it done, if I have to stay here until midnight and nail every board myself. Dunkirk, was it? Mr. Humphrey said. Now, let me tell you what I think about that military operation. Rather feisty a fellow, isn't he? Morton Ida grinned, then turned back to me. So what happened after your house was hit, Bertie? I... I was on one side of the room, and there was this sort of tunnel between me and Will. I was too scared to move. I wouldn't let him leave to get help. I made him come and get me, and then... Warden Ida's voice was low. And then the rebel shifted. I nodded. Yes, a wall collapsed. Will got trapped. I was fine, but it took them a long time to rescue him. We didn't know if he would make it. You can't blame yourself Bertie," warden ida said quietly you were younger then i was old enough to know better i shouldn't have put my own brother in danger i was old enough to be brave where's will now he's in a rehabilitation hospital in surrey it's in the same town where my cousin jeffrey's school moved after the war began and it just so happens our grandmother lives nearby so mom has been staying with her to be close to will and I think maybe she couldn't bear London anymore. You didn't go? I shook my head. Dad got a chance to be a caretaker at Trenchard House, so I stayed with him. He goes to visit a lot. I used to visit too, at first. But then... Will had to keep having operations. In the end, they couldn't save his left arm. At least he can write, but... He's alive and that's something said warden ida i know mom blames me i murmured and she's right to do that it was my fault the secret word for this chapter will be um midnight secret word midnight you may always feel regret over what happened that night Bertie, but that doesn't mean you can't move on with your life "'You were brave tonight,' said Warden Ida. "'But it takes a different kind of bravery to talk to the ones we love, "'ask forgiveness, and move on. "'Sometimes all we can do is take one step at a time.'" An ambulance driver called to Warden Ida, and he walked over to her vehicle. The all-clear had already sounded, though I barely realized it. I petted O.R. and stared at the rubble. Mr. Humphrey wasn't giving up, and I shouldn't either. I needed to keep trying to solve Violet's cipher, and I needed to make things better with Will, and Mom. I missed them both. Warden Ida returned and reached out a hand to help me up. Let's go back to the command post and have some tea. Then we'll get you home. What about Mr. Humphrey? Will he be all right? He just left. It took some convincing to get him to go to the hospital, even for one night of observation. We'll contact his daughter. Warden Ida chuckled. As he was climbing into the ambulance, Mr. Humphrey said to thank you. And he had a message for you. What was it? I asked, though I thought I could guess. Warden Ida said, he said to remind you that no one, not even Hitler, will force him out of London because, because the invasion is coming and he intends to be here when it happens. And then I smiled.